I'm just going to be honest with you guys. I don't uh, preach a lot of sermons out of Revelation. It's crazy, right, to think that students would want to talk and learn about things like that. And so uh, today for me uh, is a little bit of an experience as well. So here's what I'm going to ask. Buckle up, all right? In my time of ministry, I've written many letters to the church. I've written letters to the church asking for encouragement. Now we call these letters emails, but I've written letters asking for encouragement, asking for prayer. I've asked for for people to help financially support other people in the church, maybe ways of of scholarships and things like that for students. I've even had to write letters to the church saying, listen, God's calling us to another church. And those are difficult things to do, but we're all familiar with, with crafting and writing letters. Even some of you may have like a thing called a pen pal. Do you remember this where you would like actually write the letter? Kids, this is where you would, you would get a, like a pencil or a pen and then you would write something down. You would fold it up, put it in an envelope. They have these things called stamps. You stick the stamp on there and then you give it to your postman and then he takes it and then it goes away. It's crazy like to think about letters they can be pretty influential. And and, and as I think about letters that I've written to the church, letters that that I've kind of crafted and sent out, they can have an impact on people's lives. Sometimes letters can even change people's lives. Like I'll, I'll give you a moment in my life. The letter D forever changed my life. When I was in middle school, I brought home a progress report and it had that letter on it. And let me tell you, school was different from that point on. Now, we're not going to talk about the the failures of my life or uh, the grading rubric that Miss McSwain had, right? But what we are going to talk about is, is the letters to the church. And so all jokes aside, while I've written letters to the church, none of them has been as impactful as the letters that we see in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. And what we see is these, these letters were truly life-changing. And I know last week up here, uh, you didn't get a chance to hear Pastor Dave's sermon. Uh, good job, Ben, wherever you are, stepping in, stepping up. Uh, however, you did not cover the first three churches in the book of Revelation. And so now I am left with that and the other four. So like I said, school was forever changed. Three plus four is seven. And so that is what we're going to cover today, all right? And so as we look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation, Pastor Dave taught on Ephesus, he taught on Smyrna, and he he taught on Pergamum. And so here's what I would tell you. I'm not going to cover everything that he covered. I would encourage you guys to go back, uh, watch that sermon from last week. You can do that online. Uh, You can go on YouTube. You can go on our website. You can go in the Sunday Hub and find all of that. Uh, I'm going to try and fill in the blanks, but I'm not going to cover it as in-depth. And so... Buckle up because we've got a lot to cover in the next 30 minutes. And the whole idea of Revelation chapter 2 through 3 for us to understand is this was letters written to the churches as ways that they were functioning and operating, but also made us aware of the shortcomings and the failures of the early church. Now, nothing is more encouraging than receiving a letter that says, do better, right? Nobody wants to get that. But the reality is sometimes we need that. And so what I wanted to do is just kind of outline the seven churches, tell you where they are, and then see how does it apply to us in the year 2021. So the first church was Ephesus. If you like to write notes, this could be like like the spark notes of the seven churches. Ephesus was considered the loveless church. See, the people in Ephesus were hardworking people. 
There were people who endured hatred and evil. And from the outside, they looked like they had it all together. Like you're like, wow, these people are are great. They're hardworking. Like I want them around me. And and think about these churches and compare it to how we are here at Geyer Springs. But also think about the model that we set up. And so it looked as though they had it all together. But the problem is, is that their hearts were in the wrong spot. The two greatest commandments are to love God and to love people, as we see in the book of Mark. And see, all of Ephesus was missing the single greatest component of Christianity. They didn't have love. And an entire church operating and functioning, but without love. Could you imagine coming to a place like this where love isn't present? And sometimes that's how it feels. Maybe you're a first-time guest or you've just been coming recently and we're like, people are just kind of cold. But beyond what happens inside of this building, how are we representing the church outside of these walls? Is our first step an action of that of love? Or is it the the act of self-serving and things like that? Because the reality is, is that we cannot be people who claim to be the church, but then operate without love. And so the second church is Smyrna. Smyrna was the persecuted church. There was no rebuke in the letter for the persecuted church, although they were continually under these physical hardships. The people of Smyrna, they were promised that they would not be hurt by the second death. And so they were encouraged to stay faithful even when facing physical death. And so they had the promise of eternity. And so we see here the church of Smyrna doing the right things. Then there's no rebuke found in the letter. The third church is Pergama. So Pergama was the, the worldly church, or, or, or as I put up here, the world church. This church was a tolerant church. I, I would probably call this like the, the 2020 church, where it's like, just come in, like, love everybody, bring your sins, and while that's an okay model, it doesn't mean that you don't try and help people to change and to say, this is why that is wrong. In student ministry, there's a fine line that you have to walk with teenagers because they're wrestling with sin and other things. And what I have to do is be able to encourage them, but at the same time, not encourage them to continue to sin or or to justify things like that. And so Pergama, this this church was tolerant, and although, although they refused to deny Christ, they allowed sin like idols and immorality, cults and heresy to kind of remain amongst them. And so imagine being the person who goes to church, you do the church things, like, oh yeah, I stand up for God, but I don't live like it. This was the church of Pergamon. And so now that we've kind of caught up with the first three, I'm sorry if you were excited, that's not the rate in which I'm going to go through the next four. Again, I told you to go back and and kind of check that out. But I want to focus on Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. If you have a Bible like mine, it's kind of broken down in sections of each church. And so the first one that we're going to see here, John is addressing the four churches. And the first one I want to talk about is Thyatira. And so this is the wrong doctrine church. The church of Thyatira had love, which remember the church of Ephesus did not. And so we check that box. They had faith and they had good works. They were even patient people who were eager to grow. Now let me just stop right there. If I told you, come to Geyer Springs. You're going to love it because we have love. We have people who are faithful. They do good works. Man, they're patient and they want to grow. You're like, I want to be a part of this church. As a pastor, I want to lead these people. You're like, they want to grow? 
They want to come to church and learn. They, they don't want to sit here and be like, you know, like, oh my goodness, they're, they're faithful with what God has given them. And, and they're going to do good works. All of that is great, but where they fell short was in their doctrine. Because their doctrine was infiltrated with idolatry, with sexual sin, and these pagan traditions. And so what they did is they worshipped the god Apollos. They were strongly influenced in the city of Thyatira by these worker unions. And so imagine that you go to work, you belong to a worker union. And so what they say is we are kind of over everything that you do. And imagine it like this, if you don't worship the god Apollos, then you no longer are employed here. And be like, "Uh, but I really need a job. Some of you do this today. And it may not be outright saying worship this god, but sometimes you're called in your job to cut corners. Sometimes you're called in your job to find money places. Sometimes it may be moral or ethical things where you have to kind of bend the rules. And imagine at this moment when they say, you're either going to worship Apollo, so you're no longer going to have a job here. And the first thing as human beings, what we think is, well, I've got to provide for my family. Like, I can't just be like, well, sorry, I stood up for what I believed in, and I hope that pays the bills. Could you imagine like the, the, the tension that goes on there. But this is something I think we face on a daily basis in today's society. And so this was the heavy influencer in the city of Thyatira. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 19. It says, I know your works. John says, your love and your faith and your servants, your patience and your endurance, and that your latter works exceeded the first. But I have this against you. And, and when you read button scripture, you know something's coming, right? It says, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, to eat food, and to sacrifice to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. And all of this is taking place and this entire culture has shifted in Thyatira. And John's saying, you need to be aware that you're going to have to stand up for what you truly believe in. We see the character of God in this short passage right here that it holds others accountable for the actions that we take. Wouldn't it be great if we had people who came to us and said, are you sure that's the best choice? Are you sure that that's what you want to do? And the takeaway from the church of Thyatira is this. Are you ready? Like, what do you value or what value do you put on Jesus? Like, what are you willing to give up for him? Would you be willing to give up the securities and the comforts in order to follow Jesus? And it's a real tough question because when you put a name and a face with it, like I talked about earlier with the jobs that may ask you to do things that you're not comfortable with, or maybe you have to do something that you know just might be just uh, a little gray. Maybe you're working on your taxes and you're like, ah, I don't remember that happening, right? Like we think about these things, but like what God are you going to worship? Are you going to be someone who is self-serving? Or are you going to be someone who says, you know what? Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it hurts, even if I don't know fully what to expect, I'm going to be faithful to what Jesus has asked of me. So the next church we see is Sardis. Sardis was considered the spiritually dead church. Almost all of the people in the church of Sardis had fallen asleep spiritually. Except for a small remnant of believers. And so John's addressing them as this dead church. They were encouraged to to kindle and revive any small bit of faith that they had. Maybe this is how you feel in church. You're like, as I look around, and hopefully not here, 
But maybe you look around and you're like, it just seems like dead. Like spiritually, like we do the things, we sing the songs, we have the messages, but how active is the body? How, how are we contributing to the overall spiritual health and well-being of the church? And, and here's what I want to tell you. If you feel that way, you might want to make sure that you're not a contributing member to that. And if you are, make the change. It's not the role and the responsibility of pastors and deacons to say, okay, now I'm going to fix every single person. What it takes is it takes spiritual leaders. It takes moms and dads standing up to their children and saying, hey, you know what? This is what we're going to do. This family right here, this is what we do. We're going to stand up for God. We're going to be faithful. We're going to be obedient. We're going to spend time in the word of God, and we're going to reach out to the community. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to serve on staff at a church in the capacity that I do. But if I'm going to be honest with you, like I've seen lots of things come out of this pandemic. But one of the, the saddest things, I mean, in, in, in like loss of life and all, that is absolutely terrible. But when it comes to the church, what we've done is we've made an excuse. Why? I can't do that because of this. I'm just six feet apart, right? Like, yeah, you can still love people well. You can still minister to people. And what we've done is we use it as an excuse. And if we're not careful, we start to look a lot like Sardis being spiritually dead because we're just okay with it. We're like, well, yeah, but if, if circumstances were different, I would, I would do this better. That's, that's not how it works. Like God did not call me, like, like Jesus didn't say, Casey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to preach the gospel in and out of season unless there's a pandemic. And if there's a pandemic, you just take a break, man. Like the world needs it more than ever. Are you kidding me? Like the hope that we feel like we don't have, like share it. It's like a door, just kick it open and be like, all right. Let's go, and I'll wear a mask, and I'll talk to you, or we can do it on the phone, or we can Zoom, right? Like, we have all these opportunities and abilities to connect with people, but we constantly give excuses, and my heart hurts when I see these churches that are just spiritually asleep, spiritually dead. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Where John says, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive. Is this what John would say if he came to the church? He says, Geyer Springs, I know your works. Man, I see you from the interstate. Everybody you know has attended this church at one point in their life. Everybody I meet. Hey, what do you do? I work at a church. Oh, what church? Gary Springs. Oh, yeah, I went there one time. Every conversation, every single person, everybody that lives in this area has been to this church at one time. They know about it. They're like, oh, yeah, Green Roof. Been there. I'm like, oh, well, why'd you quit going? Uh, I gotta go. You know, like everybody knows about this church. And so as I think about that, would John come in here and be like, listen, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. He'd be like, oh, okay, can we go back to the reputation part? And what we a lot of times do is we live in the past. We say, man, Gar Springs, like, yeah. But like, what are we doing today? What are we doing tomorrow for the kingdom of God? And I love what he says in verse two. He says, wake up. He says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Some of you today, some of you online, you gotta wake up. He's like, listen, it doesn't matter what you did for me yesterday. Today you have fallen asleep. Today you have the remnants of being spiritually dead and you've got to wake up. Church is not 
an audience thing where we just come and attend and then be, be like preached to and then we like, oh, I feel good about that. And that's something that I'm trying to teach my children. Like last night, having a conversation with my daughter. Oh, I just want to sleep in. Church is kind of boring. That's what seven-year-olds say, right? I'm like, I'm literally preaching. What the heck, right? Like, it'll be fun. But the reality is, is this, is that we have to continue to pour into people and continue to love and say, listen, we want this to be something that is special. What would be more special than us coming together as a body of believers and saying, this is what God has called us to, and then we take it out of this place. For us in this church, it's a lot more common than we like to admit. And I'm not just talking about like Geyer Springs as a church, but the church as a whole. We're known for being alive. We're known for having value in the community. We're known for leveraging that influence. And then I feel as though the church has fallen into this slumber. So what do we do about it? It's our responsibility to protect the church. We are called to care for the bride of Christ. And a lot of times we don't put the value on it. And if you don't know and understand the value of the church... You're never going to be able to understand and fully grasp what God is calling us to do with it. We also have to carry out the work and the will of God. We cannot be spiritually dead and effective for Christ at the same time. We must decide our role and then carry that out. Some of you, someone may have to come to your house and say, wake up. Like, stop messing around. We only have so much time on this earth to impact and influence people for the kingdom of God. And what I don't want to do is at the end of my life look back and be like, man, like I worked at a church, I preached a bunch of sermons, I did a bunch of goofy games and stuff, but I have nothing to show for it when it comes to spiritual accountability and leading people well. I don't want to be that person. But here's what I also don't want you to hear. Like, oh, well, you're the pastor. That should be your job. Like, that's the job of every single follower of Christ. Do we understand that? doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how young you are, doesn't matter how much money you make, none of that matters. What matters is this, is that we accept the calling that God has placed on our lives. We live that out, and we're faithful, and we're obedient to that. We cannot be these people who are spiritually dead. And the next church we see is found in Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. This is the church of Philadelphia. You're like, oh yeah, I've heard of that one. All these other ones, I don't know about. Philadelphia, Rocky, I've been there. I know about that one right? See, Philadelphia was considered the spiritually alive church. They did well. There was no rebuke for this church of faith. They kept the name of Jesus. They never denied it. There was a promise in the kingdom of heaven for these Christians. And see, the Philadelphian church had only a little bit of strength, but has provided success in standing in their strength. I think that it's interesting that we saw the church previously, we see Sardis, and that there were only a few people who they were trying to say, just, just hold faith. And then you see the church of Philadelphia who just has a little bit and is faithful with that. And as they had little strength, it proved successful in standing up with that strength. And although closer in location to Sardis, the, the Philadelphian Christians, their situation, what it did is it resembled that of their fellow believers in Smyrna, which was roughly 60 miles to the west. And so Philadelphia is a reminder to us that it only takes a little bit of strength to accomplish something great, especially if our trust is in the Lord. We get caught up in thinking that if we're going to be effective for the kingdom of God, like as the church here at Geyer Springs, we must have these big things happen. That's, that's how we feel about 
like, man, I want to do something, but I, I, don't, I just don't know. You, you think it has to be coming from some message on some stage. It, it has to be some sermon point. It has to be some devotional. It has to be some song. And that is where we miss the picture. Us as the church coming together and saying, how can I do my part? How can I be a contributing member to the body of Christ and do my job well? There are people in this room who could do things I could never imagine. And there are people in this room who would, if you stood up here on stage and spoke, would pass out. You just can't do it. And God has gifted every single one of us. In Scripture, we see how the church is referred to as the body, and each member has its own part. And it's supposed to do its role. You don't want me refinancing your mortgage, okay? I, I just can't do it. I could take a crack at it, but I'm probably going to miss a few lines that I have to sign. I'm probably going to get a few numbers wrong. Now, I can maybe figure out your interest rates and things like that if I phoned a friend or something like that, but you don't want me doing that job. And what you have to understand is, is that when it comes to the church world, you've got to stay in your lane. Do what you're good at and don't try and be someone else. And sometimes this is the hardest thing for us to understand and accept because you know what? Like, we want to be the one who is seen. We want to be the one who's out front. We want to be the one who gets glory. And here's what I need you to understand. If you want to contribute to the kingdom of God, you can't have a selfish heart. You, you can't have motives for being seen. Believe it or not, I'm not the guy who wants to be out front and be seen. You're like, you're a liar. I don't. Like, God has called me to this, and so I feel like I need to be obedient and faithful to that. But the reality is this. It's like, I kind of want to be the guy in the back who, who is just like, I'm doing the work. I'm contributing. I'm helping out. And God's like, well, you're going to teach. And so here I am. <laughs> it's, it's how it happens. But what we got to understand is that God moves in mighty ways just through an ounce of faith. Instead of being a church that's looking for the next big thing, like, we need to be the church that is faithful with the little. We need to be the church that is faithful with our finances. We need to be the church that is faithful with the community that God has surrounded us with. We need to be faithful with the neighbors who live next door to you. We need to be faithful with the opportunities that we have at Walmart or Kroger to tell someone the good news of Jesus Christ. You want a big thing to happen? Do good with the little stuff. That's how it works. That's how the church is called to operate. Take care of what God has given you. If the opportunity to tell someone about Jesus arises, don't be like, what else you got? Yeah. God's like, are you kidding me? Like, this is the biggest opportunity you have. Well, I was kind of thinking something a little different, you know, like something maybe a little easier. Maybe I wouldn't get my hands so dirty. Like, if you feel like called to go on a mission trip, go on the trip. Be like, well, but the food, right? Like, I got to get my passport, and that takes forever. Like, like, don't be that person. God doesn't need your excuses. He needs you to be like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm willing to go. Could you imagine, look around this room, if every single person said, God, whatever you need from me, I'm going to do it. Wow. People would want to know what is going on at Geyer Springs First Baptist Church. You know why? Because nobody's giving excuses to what God has called them to. Imagine if half this room Sorry, guys. Imagine if this half of the room was like, I'm going to be faithful to what God asks of me. And don't be getting up and going to the other side of the room, right? But what would that look like if half the church said, you know what? I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do what you have called me to, God, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how awkward, no matter how anything, I'm going to do what you have called me to do. It would be the most beautiful thing ever. 
See, the church is not made up of a few big faith moments. Instead, it's small steps in the right direction. I think about boxing. I'm not a fighter, as you can tell, but I loved Jermaine Taylor growing up. I was like, that's my guy. And then he made some poor choices, and I was like, well, <laughs> no, I don't really like boxing anymore. However, I remember watching boxing as a kid, and I remember watching the fights, and it was never the guy who just like threw these like monster punches, like the guy comes out of the corner like uppercutting and just like haymakers and stuff like that. That was never the person who won the fight, right? It's the guy who's like throwing jabs and connecting them, and you're like, Mike, why are you punching him in the stomach? That guy has like a 12-pack. It doesn't even hurt, right? But they're wearing them down. And eventually what happens is is they do their role and they continue to fight and they continue to land punches. You guys see jabs all I got, right? If you fight me, I'm going to lose. But continue to do what they are called to do. Continue to be the person that they were trained to be. They win the fight and they're victorious. It's not the person who's the biggest. It's not the person who comes out and throws the heaviest punch. It's the person who stays the course and does what they're supposed to do. You guys like how I threw a boxing reference into the Church of Philadelphia? Yeah? Okay. And the final church, Laodicea. This is the lukewarm church of Laodicea. Unlike Philadelphia, they only received rebuke. They were neither hot nor cold. And as we read in Revelation, their their reliance on riches and the things of this world resulted in them being lukewarm. They were kind of this halfway in type of Christianity. And if we're honest, this is where we find a lot of ourselves. We find a lot of ourselves here spiritually where we're good people, like we're morally acceptable, but when it comes to living for Christ, we're just doing what we can to sustain life. Earlier I talked about letters that were life-changing, and and the letter to Laodicea is definitely life-changing, if not for anyone else, for me. When I was 10 years old, I was sitting in a service, and the pastor read this verse, and I want to I share it with you guys. So in Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 19, it says this. It says, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. He says, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're like, well, what did that do? See, like a loving father, Christ will reprove those whom he loves, calling them to repent before he intervenes in judgment. Ten years old, I'm sitting there, probably like y'all, probably looking at some girl or something, and God just kind of like just pricked my heart. I was like, hey, up here. And as I heard that, like, like as he stands at the door knocking, I would be foolish to not open it. Do y'all know what happens when people knock on doors these days? It's the craziest thing. If you don't have a ring doorbell or something like that, or like the nest, you're like, I already know who's there. But if someone rings a doorbell, if you're home, you're like, y'all know what I'm talking about? You're just like hiding. And you're like looking through. And if you have kids, you have to train them. I'm like, don't you dare go to that door. And they're just standing there looking at the person. So I have two choices. Either I'm not home, and I'm a parent that is going to be brought up on charges of neglect. Or I have to go to the door and talk to this person about the solar panels that they want to put on my roof, right? And so as I think about that, our entire culture has shifted on knocking on doors. We're like, 
Like, we're not home, go away. Like, my dogs are barking, lights are on. You can hear the TV. I'm like running by. I'm like, nah, we're gone, right? Or you pull up the doorbell app and you're like, uh, yeah, we don't want anything. It used to be if someone knocked on your door, you were so excited. When I was a kid, if someone knocked on the door, I couldn't swing it open fast enough. I was like, come in. My parents were like, you've got to stop doing that because we don't want everybody to come in. It'd just be salespeople. I just thought it was grandma and grandpa, right? Just swing the door open, come on in. But see, Jesus is here and he's knocking and he's like, I want to come in. And we would be foolish to just be like, I'm not here, right? Like, get away from the door. And see, like this loving father, like he stands at the door knocking, not as some homeless transient that is seeking shelter, but as the master of the house, expecting an alert servant to respond immediately to his signal and to welcome his interest, his, his entrance. And, and the one who opens the door says Christ will come in and eat with them. It's a picture of close personal fellowship. It forever changed my life 22 years ago as I, I heard the knocking, like, I want to be in your heart. Like, I want to have a relationship with you. And as I answered that door, I'm just like, yes, like, I need a relationship with you. And as I see this lukewarm church, a lot of times what we do is we don't answer the call, we don't answer the knock, because we're too afraid of what might be on the other side. And Jesus is like, if you just open that up, it'll forever change your life. And so as I think about that, I think about communion. I, I think about this idea of him saying, I want to come in and share a meal with you. And, and if you have your, your communion elements, I, you might want to get pre-started on it because it takes a minute. Um, pull the silver tab, not the plastic one to get your juice. But Jesus says, he, he's talking about this idea that I'm going to come in and eat with you. And, and Jesus Ultimately, in, in, in the, the Lord's Supper, we see this idea of sharing a meal that is a representation of the work that Christ did for us. It's a beautiful picture, and I think sometimes we get lost in the picture of what Jesus truly did for us when it comes to communion. You're like, these crackers, eh, <laughs> right? Because that's what we all say. But the beautiful thing is Jesus is fulfilling the promises, even in the book of Revelation, he says, listen, man, if, if you just open the door, he says, I want to come in and I want to share a meal with you and I want to have a relationship with you and I want to save you for the rest of eternity. And so as we see in Matthew chapter 26, look at what it says here. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it the disciples and he said, take of this, it is my body. So let's go ahead and do that now. Father God, as we come to you today and, and we take communion, my hope and my prayer is this, is that as we've had a time of, of reflection and we've had an opportunity for repentance, God, I pray that we truly evaluate who we are as the church. And as we've seen just, just this idea of, of these seven churches in the book of Revelation, God, you have called us to something great and something incredible. And there have been warning signs all along the way through those seven churches. God, I pray that we are faithful with the little so that you will put us over much, God. Lord, we ask these things in your holy name. Amen. And he also says this. He says, and he took the cup, and he, when he had given it to him, 
he had given them thanks, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my body, for this is my blood in the covenant, poured out for many in the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to call the band back up as we, we have a time of just kind of reflection. I think for some people, um, we don't think about our roles and responsibilities in the church. We don't think that we have that opportunity or, or that, man, I, I can't do certain things. My giftings are not applicable here. You would be surprised, and I bet I could even convince you how God could use your gifts in a mighty and incredible way. He says, I just need people who are faithful. I just need empty vessels who will take my word and just, just send it out. And so here's what I would challenge you to this morning. If you're like me, I like the application. And so my application is simply this. Like looking at your heart, looking at yourself. What is it that I need to do to be a contributing member? We're not talking about for the sake and the health of Geyer Springs. God's going to take care of his church. But I'm talking about for the sake of the kingdom of God. You may be the only gospel that someone ever sees. Like that is a very serious thing. You may have people coming over tonight for the Super Bowl. And they're going to see your true colors if your team ain't winning, right? Like how can you reflect Christ in a moment of heartache? How can you reflect Christ when it's not the most ideal? How can you reflect Christ to your coworkers? How can you reflect Christ to your children? Hey, children, how can you reflect Christ to your parents? That's what it's all about. And so I ask you, not as a pastor, but as a, as a fellow brother in Christ, like, hey, we have a role and responsibility. And I want as many people going with me to the kingdom of heaven as possible. But not so that it's jewels in my crown, but it's so that people can taste and see the goodness of God. Father, thank you again for this day. Lord, I pray that we are faithful with you. We're obedient to what you've called us to. God, I just pray that it, it starts at Geyer Springs. God, I pray that this body of people who are faithful, who are obedient, who serve well, God, don't give in to the gods of this world, but submit wholly to you, Father. And we ask these things in your holy name this morning.